thank you again. We want to thank you again for your, your love, your kindness, and all the things that you are doing in our midst. We thank you, Lord God, uh, that you have allowed to, uh, us to see another Easter, another Resurrection Sunday in which we celebrate uh, the rising, the raising uh, uh, from the dead, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, because uh, only God can do that. Uh, only God can raise God from the dead, and only God can raise him up, himself up from the dead. Uh, so, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. Now, Lord God, we pray that our hearing would not be shallow. We pray that our spirits would not be shallow. We ask you that you would, through your Holy Spirit, begin to plow up the fallow ground that we may drive deep spiritual roots that we may know Christ and that we may mature in him as well. Have your way in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I am uh, on part seven of the book of Nehemiah. And if you are unfamiliar with Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a Jew who had part of the whole contingency of Jews who had been taken basically captivity to Babylon. You recall that at one particular time that the Jews had come from Egypt and, and, and remember that saying that Moses said that God says to let my people go. Lord told Moses, go down, tell old Pharaoh to do what? Amen. To let my people go. So uh, Moses went down there, and he strong-armed Pharaoh in the name of the Lord. Amen? He strong-armed Pharaoh in the name of the Lord. Uh, so finally, Pharaoh let them go. Uh, uh, he was forced to let them go. So they traveled from Egypt all the way to what we call the Promised Land. They had finally made it to this place that they had long hoped for, this place that, in fact, Abraham had talked about all the way in the book of Genesis. Look, look uh, all the way in Genesis chapter 12, as a matter of fact. So uh, God had promised Abraham this land because uh, God was going to select a people, right? So uh, don't, uh, don't look down or denigrate the Jews, right? Uh, because the Jews had a primary responsibility, and their responsibility was to spread the gospel of Yahweh all over the world. So uh, they traveled from, from Egypt uh, all the way into the promised land of what we know to be Israel, right? That was the place. That was their settlement place. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you some rules. You have to follow me. You have to worship me because you are my people. You are a holy nation, right? You are chosen people, so you have to act like that, and you can't act like everybody else around you. So you know how it is sometimes. Some people, uh, they end up uh, going somewhere, and they start to take things for granted. You know what I mean? Sometimes people take you for granted. There's no difference here. Uh, so the Jews began to take the land for granted, and they began to take God for granted. You see, what happens to us sometimes is that God, he blesses us, he blesses us, and then we 
forget. And then we forget all about God's blessings. So God says, I'm not going to have this. So the Jews, they were living in disobedience towards him. And uh, and God said, you better remember my word. And what was God's word to the Jews before they went into the land? Well, God's words to the Jews before they went into the land was simply this. If you don't do what I tell you to do, don't worship with the weight I tell you to worship, then the land is going to vomit you out. The land, the land is going to be nauseated because of your presence. So they said, sure, okay, we hear that. But what did they do? They took God for granted. Ultimately, God said, you know what? There's a people going to come from the north, really from the east, but God said from the north because in order to get uh, from the east uh, to where they were, they have to travel east and they have to travel northward and then they have to travel downward to Israel. So it's not a contradiction of scripture there. So they're going to come from, uh, from the north, and they're basically they're going to take you guys captive. So God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to the children of Israel, right? And they refused to listen. They, they killed some of the prophet. They said, I'm not going to listen to anything that God says. I'm going to do my own thing because I'm my own man and I'm my own woman. So God said, all right, go ahead with your bad self. Really? Go ahead with your bad self. You that bad. So they come, finally come. First it was Assyria, and then it was the nation of the Babylonians. They finally come down, and they take all of them captive, and they take the entire land captive for over 70 years. Around the end of that period, there was this guy who stood before the king of Babylon, king of Babylon with Artaxerxes. This guy's name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah's boys, they heard about all the stuff that was happening there back home. You see, Nehemiah was in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. He was in Babylon. So his boys had somehow come back and said, man, look, our people are jacked up. They're poor. The down old people walking around. They got messed up houses. The city is in a, a shambles. You got people coming from all over the place, you know, flash mobs. There's nothing we can do about it. Nehemiah hears this message. He begins to fast and pray. And he was crying. Have you ever felt that bad about a situation, or, uh, that bad about people, that you just had to fast and pray? So he fasted and prayed before the Lord. And the Lord finally gave him an opportunity. He says, okay, well, you are the cupbearer for the king. So he had an opportunity to go to the king to tell the king, look, you know, the king looked at him and said, something wrong with you, boy. He says, I'm just all sad because of my people. So, so the king ultimately sent him back to Jerusalem. He said, what do you want? He says, I want to go and I want to go build up my land, my community. I want to build them up. Instead of killing him, the king said, okay, go ahead. I like you. So now he goes back. Now he's in Jerusalem. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, where we are today. Now he's in Jerusalem. And they're building a wall. He get his boys together, right? He tried to get all of his boys together. And you know how it is that sometimes 
it's very difficult to get everybody to cooperate. Amen? Sometimes there are just some people they just don't want to get on board, right? Why? Because they march to the tune of a different drummer. So even your own people, when they try to come together to build things together, you're always struggling. Why? I submit to you it is because of sinfulness. That's why. Because Adam and Eve were not together. Why? Only because it was because of sinfulness. Sinfulness always comes to the picture. So finally, you know, Jerusalem was jacked up. I mean, it looked like, it looked like the West Side during the 60s, the late 60s. Remember that? It looked worse than that, as a matter of fact. It looked worse than that. Imagine that. It looked worse than that. So Nehemiah, he comes he has a vision, and he comes to build it all up. And then finally, he has some resistance, and, and they're building, and they're coming against him. They're fighting against him, and they're struggling. And he's praying to God, help us build it, oh God. Help us. We're having a hard time. Take care of those fools, because they're always getting in the way. Finally, they finish the wall. And that takes us to Nehemiah chapter 6. The building up is complete. The building up of that wall is complete. Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elud. In 52 days. So it took them 52 days to build this wall. This was no small task. Now at this moment, I'm not sure uh, about how, how tall or how thick the wall was, uh, but all I know is that uh, Nehemiah, he had an opportunity to build this wall, and he could not do it alone, that he needed help. Sometimes in life, you just need help. Try and try as you may. You need people. Because God, he created us to be in community. In a community where we see and interact with one another. I want you to know, I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, folks go crazy, you know, uh, uh, with their phones and, and, and internet and all this other stuff because ultimately there is a deep desire inside of, just think about it, think about this for a moment. If you're keeping track uh, with the news, you know that one of the things that's happening is as there is an increase in digital activity, there's also an increase in suicide. Did you know that? As there's increase in digital activity, there's an increase in suicide, right? Because people are, there's increases in depression. You know, depression, one of the signs of depression is being isolated. You're by yourself. You're feeling all alone, right? You see, uh, digital life is not going to solve your problems. I don't care how many people you see on the screen. Ultimately, you're going to have to see someone. Ultimately, you're going to have to touch someone in person. So here, this community, they came together to build this wall using and, and totally dependent upon God's Spirit. So we are encouraged today 
because if you have been following along, and by the way, if you're hearing this and you want to hear more about this, there's six other messages that preceded this. You're welcome to go online and check it out. But we are encouraged today because the enemy, he did everything in his power to stop that building. But he failed, and he failed miserably. So uh, because Nehemiah had that hope, we too can have hope as well, knowing that God can uphold us. But as we look at our passage, it says that, uh, so the wall was what? Let's try it again. All right, maybe you didn't hear me, right? So the wall was, okay, anytime you complete anything, you go to school, you complete your bachelor's degree, you get your high school diploma, right? Uh, uh, anything like that. The next thing you want to do after you finally walk across that stage, the next thing that you want to do is what? You want to celebrate. You may have a big party, you may have a little party, but you want to celebrate. Oh, yes, I finally made it. But look at the passage, though. No celebration. Wouldn't that be one of the, uh, the next things that you think they would do? Is to celebrate? Especially all the resources they had to muster and all the people they had to get together. But that was not the case. Uh, but I'm going to leave it dangling here. I'm going to leave it dangling right there. Uh, so we get to one of the main reasons that uh, the enemy here, that the enemy didn't want the people to succeed in the first place. This is fascinating. So there was a reason uh, that the enemy did not want to see God's people succeed. And you better believe in your life, there's some people that are watching you, they don't want to see you move forward. They don't want to see you succeed. Because when you succeed, it means that God has your back. Recall the experience of the black slaves in America and the Emancipation Proclamation. Of course, with the pronouncement that all slaves would be free. But history tells us that some white slave owners there in the South, particularly in Texas, right, they didn't want this to happen. So therefore, first they delayed, it, uh, they delayed getting them the news. That's why they celebrate something that's called Juneteenth, right? They delayed getting them the news because they heard the news late. But they were afraid. Because if they let the slaves free, their steady stream of basically free income would be stopped. But like I said, the other reason was basically they were afraid. They were afraid that if they let all these black folks go, they're going to come and start killing white folks all over the place. Why? Because they were so unfair and so brutal. Uh, th these masters and their families were. We know the story. But they were afraid and yes, some blacks did uh, begin to take vengeance because there was irreparable harm done to them and or their families. Looking here in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16, we see why the enemies of God, or the enemies of God's people, why they had a problem. Verse 16 it says, 
And when all our enemies heard of it, heard what? Heard that they had built the wall, heard that they had finished the wall, finito, fine, they had finished it. All the nations around us, Nehemiah says, were afraid and great and fell greatly in their own esteem. Now how in the world, just because I succeeded in something, going to make you feel bad? If I am a success, why should you feel bad? Huh? That was their problem. For they perceive, this is their problem here, that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Ah, you see, there it is. They were, they were afraid because they thought to themselves, God had their backs. Isn't that something? So all along, over the many years, the Jews have been subject to various abuse and persecution. Not only here in Nehemiah, but what we read in the book of Esther, in the impending extermination of the Jews in the book of Esther. But not only locked there in that ancient time, but what about the Holocaust of the 20th century? wife and I, we've been to Dachau. We've seen those ovens. We've seen those camps. And boy, all I can say is crazy. Absolutely crazy. But it is not just a generalized hatred or fear of another, but something else was going on. Uh, they, again, were afraid because they thought to themselves that it was the Lord who had their back. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25, you know, he uh, gives us a little insight into this, right? Uh, Eli the prophet, he was uh, the priest, he was speaking to his sons. And he said this, Hophni and Phinehas were his sons, I believe. Verse 25, 1 Samuel 2, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? You see, again, if God has your back, and God is looking out for you, uh, you know, if, if, if everybody is against you, right, how can they be against you if God is for you? So it appeared that all the boasting of these enemies, their enemies were Tobiah and Sanballat, right? They were the sworn enemies of, uh, of the Jews and his crew, uh, that even though they were so antagonistic, they had one thing they were afraid of. One thing they were afraid of. They were afraid of God. And I tell you, you know, maybe, maybe that was a good thing. Because you know today, some folks are not even afraid of God. They talk all kind of babble. As we know, all kind of smack about who they are and what God is not. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, just yesterday, I was, I was, uh, uh, I was texting you, all right? I said, don't be texting, right? But the folks I was texting, I just saw them, you know, a couple of days prior to that. They're talking all this stuff about this other stuff. I said, you know what? You all need to stop that mess, and you all need to go to church. As a matter of fact, come to our church tomorrow and hear the word of God. 
they into all conspiracy theories and just crazy stuff, just nonsense, nonsense. But you see, uh, it may somehow appear that if the Lord is helping you in life, uh, but when you finally succeed, right, through the impossible odds, then people stand up and they take note. You see, when you're just scratching and scrape, ain't nobody paying you no attention. Nobody wants to take your phone calls. Nobody wants to give you a break, right? But as soon as it looks like you're about to make something of yourself, then all of a sudden, what happened? Hey, there's my buddy. Hey, there's my friend. What's up, homeboy? I've been there too. So there's a reason for all those who discounted you that now they want to take a second look at you. You know what? It's okay for people to look at us. It's all right for people to look at us and say, Jesus just might be working in their life after all. Maybe that Jesus they keep talking about, maybe he is alive. It's okay to say that we are what we are due to the grace of God, and that is through and in Jesus Christ and his grace alone. And we fall short of the mark when we think we are what we are due to our own intelligence, that we are uh, what we think we are uh, because we had to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. If you think that, you need to think again because one day uh, someone called God the hound of heaven, not being derogatory, but simply saying that God is going to hunt you down. Sooner or later, God is going to come knocking at your door. And guess what? You may not know when. You may not know when. You are what you are because the Lord blew the wind in your cell. And as a matter of fact, the very cell that you have, that belongs to God. The philosopher Spinoza, he says this, and I quote, that the human mind is a part of the infinite intellect of God. So in other words, that our minds, when all our minds come together, we really are part of, part of God. <laughs> Do you believe that? No. Uh, that's simply not true, according to Scripture. You see, don't be deceived because Spinoza's philosophy that it ran aground against God's Word. We can say that Spinoza, that he promoted an anti-biblical idea of we are what we say that we are, or we are what we think that we are. No, you're not. You are what God says that you are. And if you are not a Christian, if you're not in Christ Jesus, then you're just probably not nothing. God loves you. You're created in God's image, yes. But God says, I have more for you. There's more in life for you. Spinoza says all people are an extension of God. No, they're not. Not in the way that he's phrasing it. If you're not familiar with Spinoza, he was at the very forefront of the Enlightenment. And if all people are an extension of God, then why are there so many enemies of God all over the place? So one of the things that the enemy always know about us is that if you are a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, that if there is success, there is God. 
If there is a rebuilding, there is God. If the Lord's work is finished through us, then there is God. If God's people are not depressed, if God's people are not oppressed, then there is God. When the enemy sees that, he wants to strike us, destroy us, divide us. Again, when those who are watching you see you get up again and again, Donnie McClurkin says, we fall down, but we what? Get up. Right? When you get up again and again and again, when the enemy sees that, when those distractors see that, they know there's something special about you. And again, God must have your back. Hmm. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. Joshua 5, verse 1 says here, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. See, there it is again. Uh, it was God's people were doing their thing, did nobody care. But then they start walking, they say, wait a minute. They're walking and all of a sudden, uh, the water dries up before them. All right, now it's time to get scared. When the Lord starts rebuilding, when the Lord gets involved in what you're doing, then people, even unbelievers, they sit up and they take notes. Some may not believe in Jesus, and I am a witness of this, but when he begins to turn the wheels in your favor, uh, then they will know it must be the God whom you serve. Huh. With all of that going on, nothing can stop the hand and the plan of God. Not even the threat of violence, not even the threat of death. Nothing can stop God when He has decided to move forward. Well, people who drag their feet with the mission may not be on the same mission as you. People who drag their feet with the mission may not be on the same mission as you. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. And by the way, Tobiah is an enemy of the Jews, right? So look at that. Many nobles of Judah, right? In other words, they're saying... The Jews, some of the Jews were sending letters to Tobiah, who was an enemy of the Jews. That's what they're saying, verse 18. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara. And his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam. Right? How do you like that? Name your kids some of that instead of uh, a little Lishon, right? Uh, the son of Berechiah as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. You see, it was an inside job. Part of the problem was it was an inside job as well. So now we understand why uh, some of the people were dragging their feet and not participating in and rejecting the idea of building the wall. Uh, they were in cahoots with the enemy. Just think about that, sleeping with the enemy. 
They were involved in, in some other side deals and didn't want it to be interrupted for the building of some wall. Here, the individual's success was more important than God's success. God's success means the building up of his people, and by implication, the building up and the finishing of the wall. So every time God's people plan to move forward, there's a group from the inside that said, No, Nehemiah, I don't think we should do it. I don't think it's going to work. You need to stop. You need to slow down. Take a look. So the enemy, he figured out that what we would do, we'll kill him. Let's just kill him. Because they thought killing them would prevent the building up of the wall. Killing them would put the issue to rest once and for all. Be on the watch for people who try to kill your dreams. Watch out for people who try to kill what you know God has placed inside of you. And I also must warn you, listen to this, don't vilify people who try to help you. Amen? Right? And as you heard before, several messages before, uh, there is the constructive and the destructive conversation. A constructive conversation is used to help to move the ball down the court. A destructive conversation is meant to attack you personally. Remember that. So if they are attacking you as a person, walk the other way. You ain't got no business with them in the first place. Leave them alone. If they challenge your idea, then learn to listen and don't be so offended all the time. But if they still challenge everything you do, then they are basically passively attacking you, left and right. Because you see, for some, the ultimate answer to stopping anything that doesn't meet their approval is total destruction. Recall what Caiaphas said about killing Jesus. We're in John chapter 11, verse 49. John 11, verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. Getting rid of people will not get rid of your problems. Getting rid of people, so you think, will not get rid of your problem. Because at the end of the day, you still must look at yourself in the mirror. And sometimes the problem is not them. The problem is us. The problem was not with Jesus Caiaphas, but the problem was with Caiaphas. Caiaphas? So Jesus said, how can you permanently destroy something that God has built? That is an impossibility. Jesus said that if you destroy this temple, that it will be rebuilt in three days. Jesus said in John 2.19, destroy this temple. In three days I will raise it up. But as we know, they completely missed the point and still planned to kill Jesus. And they, uh, and they went ahead with the whole plans. But God was at work in and through him because he was God. But indeed, as with Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall, fear was the driving impetus for the violence that they would plan to perpetrate against another person. With Jesus and with Nehemiah, the enemy always thinks he's smarter than God. The enemy was not able to go through with their plans for Nehemiah and the wall, but with Jesus, the devil knew that there was too much on the line. Why did the devil want to kill Jesus? Why? Because the redemption 
of the whole world was at stake. Our redemption, he figured that if I get rid of Jesus, then I'm going to be all right. Right? And now I can go ahead and rule and reign on this, in this world, the devil says. But Jesus, he finished his work, amen? And Jesus is alive to prove it. Jesus finished his work and is alive to prove it. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. Well, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Uh, when they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that uh, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day? Rise! The enemy decided to destroy Jesus and believe they were free and clear. There's nothing as permanent as death, the devil thinks. The enemies of Nehemiah thought they had it made when the wall was being rebuilt and they thought they could stop it. The Jewish leaders had been criticized. They had been accused and persecuted. But they couldn't stop the work. Jesus was criticized. He was accused. He was persecuted. And then he was finally murdered. But now there was nothing remaining to do. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And, Jesus, and the Jews thought to themselves, yeah, listen to him. He's saying up there on the cross, he's saying it is finished. <laughs> oh, he's finished all right. Oh, we finished with him all right. We finished, Jesus. That's what they were saying. Oh, yeah, we finished. Ain't nobody going to talk about you no more. Ain't nobody going to be trying to say Hosanna to you no more, Jesus. Nobody's going to call you son of man, son of God. Nobody is going to uh, celebrate lion of the tribe of, of Judah. No one is going to call you the lily of the valley. No one is going to call you the rose of Sharon. No one is going to call you Messiah. No one is going to call you Christ. You're going to get none of that. Jesus, you are done. We're finished. Let's wash our hands and go back and look at some HBO. Jesus says that this was for the very purpose of me coming. And that's me dying. Paid in full, he says. But today... Today, brothers and sisters, we are past his persecution. Amen? We are past his crucifixion. Amen? We are past his barrier, a burial. Amen? And what remains, what remains is a risen.
risen Savior, a risen Redeemer. Jesus is alive. See, Jesus is not in the tomb because the tomb is for dead folks. Jesus is alive. Remember the angels, they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Okay, now, this is where we make our point, our connection between the ministry of Nehemiah. If you have not been tracking along the ministry of Jesus Christ, now we have been walking this line all along anyway. But during Nehemiah's time, the wall of Jerusalem was destroyed due to the wickedness of the people. Jesus, as a man, was destroyed due to the wickedness of mankind. During Nehemiah's time, the wall was constantly threatened because of the adversary it didn't want the shame of God's people to be removed. But Nehemiah built the wall and restored the hope of the people and removed their shame. What the enemy thought he destroyed, Jesus Christ, it was rebuilt in three days. Amen? As the building of Christ was built, as he came back to life and restored, he restored the hope of all people who had no hope for an eternal future. It didn't take the hands of the community to resurrect Jesus. But instead, it took the power of God. It will not take your words to receive God's grace, but only grace alone, faith alone, in the living Jesus Christ who lives to make intercession for us. So the temple is rebuilt. Jesus is alive. Jesus beckons us today. Jesus beckons me today. Jesus says, come and live. I am alive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that uh, the work of Jesus Christ, it is finished. We thank you so much that Jesus Christ stands far and apart from all other who calls themselves God. Because all those, Father, we realize who call themselves gods and are not are still six feet under. Whereas Jesus Christ, he is alive. 